Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Too far, too fast. The promise of AI sending the stocks of the biggest chip and cloud names into orbit this year, but have these names outrun the hype. Should investors be ready for them to come back to Earth? We'll debate that. Plus, Bitcoin Bonanza, the cryptocurrency topping 42,000 today and at its highest level in 18 months. Our Bitcoin baller, BK, will be in the house to tell us if this year's revival will keep going. And later, an airline merger hitting turbulence with investors, a street upgrade revving up shares of Carvana, and the impact of job cuts at Spotify and the rest of the media landscape. I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Bono and Eisen, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with the cover that may have just signaled the top to this year's AI boom. Barron's this weekend leading with a story touting the AI gold rush, calling NVIDIA the clear winner in the race and saying the stock is still undervalued. That, even as shares have more than tripled this year, but since hitting an all-time high just two weeks ago, shares have pulled back 10%, and just today NVIDIA fell more than 2.5%. Alphabet and Microsoft, the other big players in the AI race, also seeing bigger losses in the broader markets. So is this the latest hot trend to suffer the cover story curse? Will spending in this space justify this year's rally? And even more to come, perhaps, as the Bulls and AI will say, guys. It's like being on the cover of Sports Illustrator, the Madden curse, and yeah, the Barons is right there with them. And it's interesting, last quarter NVIDIA had that huge run-up into earnings. Stock closed, I think, on the day 485, went north of $515, only to subsequently trade below 400 in the next couple months. Same setup this time, traded right up to 485, printed 500, here we are now. So is this a sign of things? Yes. And let's be clear. NVIDIA is an extraordinarily important company. Collectively, we have said that. The stock is being rewarded in almost an obscene way in terms of valuation, in my opinion. A cyclical company still trading at valuations that I don't think make a lot of sense here. So I disagree with a bunch of that, actually, except what actually happened to the stock before earnings last time, before earnings this time. We've talked about it a couple times. That's how I went into it, that they would sell into earnings and it would probably trade off, which is exactly what happened. I'd like to buy it again, which I did after the last earnings. I don't agree with the valuation being so crazy. I think that part of what happened today was the whole Magnificent Seven traded down, which includes a lot of AI hype, right? Alphabet, Microsoft, but even you know Netflix, Meta, which has some AI as well. So I think it was sort of mixed up in that. I don't think the valuation's crazy, and I still think that we are early in this I don't know what you want to call it, gigantic tectonic plate sort of change, and that I think NVIDIA is, will earn their way. I, actually, I do think it won't even be well, expensive. It'll be relatively fair. That's starting to happen. Okay, so if you're looking at the out year, you're looking at next year's estimates, it's trading at about 22 times these expected numbers. So over the course of this year, as these beat and raises have happened, it's kind of worked its way into consensus. So if you're looking on the, uh, you know, backward looking, it still does look very expensive for a $1.1 trillion company that all of a sudden had this sort of growth come out of nowhere. Um, I'll just say this. One of the concerns right now is this customer concentration, right? At a time where we just saw Gino Raimondo talking about a lot of this stuff, this, you know, this has been dominating, I think, a, a lot of the discourse in and around, um, not just here, with obviously our CHIPS Act and how we're thinking about supply chains and how we're thinking about AI and who's going to control AI and our competition with China, um, but also, obviously, over there. So the customer concentration is important, right? Microsoft and Meta make up nearly 30% of 
uh, NVIDIA sales, okay? Throw in Amazon and Alphabet, and you get to 40%. Then if you think about geographic exposure, and it's maybe two-thirds outside of the U.S., right? And then if you think about those customers, you think about Microsoft. Every day I've been reading stories over the last couple months how Microsoft's developing their own graphics chips, right, to train their own models, to put in their own you know, data center and the like here. So the story for NVIDIA was, you know, it's not going to have the sorts of returns. It's not going to have the beats and raises going forward next year, but it probably is trading at a reasonable multiple. But the only problem is, it's like it's going to be relative to its growth. In my opinion, it's not going to be that attractive, not nearly as attractive for those who jumped into this story, who recognized what it was mid-year this year. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to expect that you're not going to get the same returns that you got being in the stock last year, but that doesn't mean that, that it's necessarily overvalued. And I do understand the customer concentration, but if you the, the names of those companies that you just listed are amongst the top seven companies in the United States. So if I'm going to be concentrated, and most companies have to be concentrated somewhere, I'd rather be concentrated there than, say, in some SMB-type segment of the market. Um, the, the, the other thing is, like, listen, there, there is some concern around the China story and whether or not you're going to continue to see numbers pull back in that region. With that said, I, I do think analysts are onto something that, I think we just have yet to really wrap our minds around how large this thing really can be. The beats and raises notwithstanding, we have continued to ratchet up expectations and they have continued to outperform those raise expectations. And so until I see some pullback in terms of the growth prospects, I, I think you continue to look to buy pullbacks in the name. I, I think that you can be bullish the longer term AI story, but be bearish on the name at the same time. If if you are a believer, for instance, that companies are going to start to really scrutinize their balance sheets next year because of economic troubles or, or whatnot, then how are they going to justify that that level of AI spend? spend? And so it's just the level of spend. It's not necessarily that they won't be spending, but maybe they won't be spending as much as forecast, uh, forecasted to meet the economic times. Or maybe you've already seen the double ordering or potentially triple ordering. And I don't know if we have that graphic of the comments from Gina Raimondo, but I think this is important. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's basically saying, if you try to circumvent the rules, be We're careful. Go We're going to go after you. I mean, you can't take, I don't think you can discount that. And it's, it's pretty important. I'm not certain that's what took NVIDIA down today, but it clearly didn't help. And again, can they grow into the valuation? Absolutely. It's going to take time. And that beat or that raise from $7 billion of revenue to $11 billion we saw a couple quarters ago, I don't think you're going to see that magnitude of percentage beat. In terms of absolute numbers, obviously, yes, we went from 18 to 20 now, but I think those beats are going to be smaller and smaller. Typically speaking, I mean, a space that everybody wants to be in will become commoditized and margins typically decrease on the back of that. I think this is similar to when AWS, right, early on in their career, it seemed like, all right, this is absolutely something that can be commoditized, right? And here we are several years later, and still, this is a really good business. It is somewhat, it is competitive space for sure. They owned it before, but now you obviously have many other, you have Microsoft, Alphabet, uh, Oracle, and others. And I think we're still early in this evolution. So I think you're right. The stock can trade differently than what's happening in the underlying business. But I think this stock is going to give you another chance to own this. Remember, the valuation's getting cheaper. The stock's moving a little, but the valuation's right. getting a lot cheaper. The only thing I'd say but about and, that. And, and, and one, we just add one more thing. There's many other customers, right? There's, yeah. there's Dell, there's Oracle, there's a lot of big customers here, and a lot of new customers as well. 
Yeah, no, it is interesting, though, on that May quarter that they reported, and it was that, like, 80% revenue, yeah. like, beat, okay? Like, uh, like it, it, it like, was astounding. I don't think anybody had any whispers, anything. You know, it gapped up to $400. Well, it's traded down to four. It's traded up to 500 a few times. It's traded down to 400 It's really gone sideways. So the invest, investors are really trying to digest all of this. And if you look at next year's numbers, so we're saying it's trading about 22 times next year's consensus, about 12 times next year's sales, okay? That seems really reasonable for a company like this that has those customers that is in this secular shift and the like, okay? The only problem, at some point in 2024, estimates are probably going to go down, in my opinion, for the out year, for the next year, okay? And once you do that, that's when the stock fills in that gap back to 350 to, to that May thing. Like, like I just, trades I'm, where as a multiple? Well, it's going to start trading more expensive, right? Because the stock, I mean, like, to me, because if no, estimates are going to come down. down no, no, but no, it. But if the estimates are going down, right? Like, so to me, right now, you're, you're expected in 2025 for like low single, like low double digits, like, you know, 12%, low, low teens or something like that growth rate. I'm just saying it has the potential to go negative. And here's the other thing. I just want to say this, okay? The last time we were all so excited about technology was late 2021. There was all these different advancements going on in AR and VR and the metaverse and this and that, whatever. And oh, you know metaverse. what? NVIDIA sold off 70%. Meta sold off 70%. Netflix sold off 70%. Tesla sold off 70%. These stocks, I mean, like, it can happen, people. I it mean, I, we all are so euphoric. Everything's amazing. And Barron's just told us it's an AI gold rush. That's well, what they told us this weekend. With, with the 1.6 beta, I think you kind of are signing up for that. Like, you, you understand that you bought that when you bought the stock. So you're not expecting necessarily some orderly march. So if the, if the case is that, listen, we're expecting to see some increased volatility, yes. And I would say investors should be very well aware of that. Otherwise, you don't need to be in this pocket of the market. Uh, the, the other thing that I think is being underestimated is that, yes, you may see enterprise spin pull back. But that doesn't mean that NVIDIA specifically is the loser. I would argue that it's going to be the secondary and tertiary players that really suffer the blunt of that blow. And then the full stack aspect of NVIDIA, I think, is something that none of us are really mentioning here. The fact that we have all the developers on their platform and they're they're sticky there. They have a, a decade head start there. So there is some moat. So, yes, I, w- I, I I'm not going to push against the fact that you could see a pullback in enterprise spin and you could see a growth rate pullback altogether. But I still think that there is a strong argument to be made that this is at least fairly priced. There are software mm-hmm. revenues that have not been fully mm-hmm. factored into the valuation at this point in terms of software revenues in the out years. It's interesting. We're probably all saying the same thing, just <laughs> in different ways, right? I mean, it's a stock you want to own. Sure. My question is, you want to own it here? Or to Dan's mm-hmm. point, you can get a much better opportunity. I oh. think you're going to get a better opportunity. I mean, quite frankly, I don't think anybody saw a move from 516 this summer down to below 400 in a few months later. And then we obviously we went back. So... My point is the stock will give you an opportunity cheaper than where we are, I think. Right, and Barron's is not wrong. No. At all. Right. There is yes. probably an AI gold rush going on, but the question is, will it be immune, will all these names be immune, if there is a rotation out of Magnificent Seven, which is what we may be witnessing right now as we are seeing regional banks come to life, we're seeing yes. healthcare show some signs of life, et cetera, in this phase of the market. Yeah, I, I agree with Guy completely there that, I mean, normally I, I'm a long-term holder. I don't trade around. This one I really do. There's a lot to do in options. There's a lot of one-by-twos, interesting things to do. And I think I will have a chance to do it again. Our next guest believes AI returns will justify all the hype. Tech investor Gene Munster is managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to have you with us. I know that you've been listening into our conversation. Um, at what point do you get cons- concerned, you know, if enterprise spend pulls back at all, that the AI spend will also pull back, especially as we are sort of in the early stages of this whole thing and we may not see 
what the returns are on investment at this point. Melissa, I think any pullback would largely be noise. And I think this whole conversation needs to start with some context. We've used adjectives to describe what this transformation from AI is. This The whole panel is optimistic. Most people are optimistic, but I think most people are understating, still understanding what the significance of this is. And if I think about the scale of how transformative this is, if we put electricity at 100, I'd put AI at 90, I would put the internet at 50 and the smartphone at 30. I think it's that big of a deal. I think that we're gonna see a blowout, a bubble in the next three to five years around AI that's gonna impact the entire market. That's gonna, I think, make this conversation look a little trivial when we look back at it relative to the opportunity. That said, there can be some bumps in the road and uh, is noteworthy. You don't just wanna be a visionary and you wanna be an investor. So I would just start there with the point that ultimately I think that this is gonna be much bigger. NVIDIA is gonna be powering this. I think this is a, a, a good company to own. And I just wanna you know, give an example. We don't, at Deepwater, we, don't own, uh, we do not own NVIDIA. We do have the Deepwater Frontier Tech Innovator, it's ticker L-O-U-P, we own TSMC in that. TSMC trades at eight times. They're the picks and shovels of this whole revolution. NVIDIA trades at 22 times. That's, uh, as I like to say, you get your cake and ice cream too. Uh, you get the benefit of owning this transformative wave, but you get it at a better valuation. And so there's a lot of good things going on when it comes to AI. Just to put your bullishness in context, Gene, I'm, I'm just curious, where would you have put Metaverse back in the heyday of Metaverse on that scale of innovative trends? Would it have been bigger than been the Internet? A, a 25. I would have said it would have been smaller okay. than the uh, smartphone. I would have put 3D TV at a 5. Uh, 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 autonomous cars at, at, uh, at, at 25 or 30, something there. I mean, this is, I, I, I don't, I just, my personality, I don't want to get uh, tripping over uh, adjectives to uh, hype things up. That's not what I do. But I, I just, I think it's important uh, for me to be on the record here is I think we're going into a huge bull market when it comes to AI. I think it's going to impact a lot of companies. NVIDIA is going to benefit. There are some smaller companies that I think will benefit more. Gene, it's Karen. Thanks for coming on. So I got to ask, though, why don't you own NVIDIA as a means of diversification? TSMC, although it may be cheaper, does have some other sort of idiosyncratic risks. Why not yes. own both? Um, I think that there is, uh, it comes down to 2025 and what the expectations are for growth. The street's at 15%. I think it's going to be better than that. I think it's going to be 15 to 20%, but it just doesn't have that, I think, I think, uh, that's where investors' heads are at right now. It's going to be great for the next few quarters. I just think it comes down to 2025. And I think when we look at TSMC, all the things that are going on with some of the hyperscalers and them building their own chips, what Apple's doing, uh, TSMC is going to benefit. And I think that they've got a bigger potential in 2025 to have upside. So that's why we don't own NVIDIA and why we own TSMC. Gene Bonneman here. Thanks for being with us. Can you help us think about or tell us how we should be thinking about the China risk to this story. It seems to be the glaring bear case, um, if there is one to be made. Can you help us kind of quantify what that may be and the duration uh, in terms of how long that may last? It's the piece that keeps me up. I have in TSMC in our portfolio. Uh, it is uh, to quantify the risk. It's, uh, I think that eventually something does happen there. 
in terms of China and Taiwan. I don't necessarily know it's going to be military related, but I think that there needs to be some resolution. Uh, when I think about that risk, I put it in the category that if something did happen there, it, uh, TSMC would be crushed. Uh, let's say it's down 50 percent. Uh, that half of their uh, production is still outside of Taiwan. I think that's uh, in, in China. I think that's an important piece around how this story is evolving. So there still is that piece to it. There, I think the rest of the market's probably down 25% on something like that. I think it would be a huge event. So I think it's um, it would be bad. I think it would be bad for the whole market. But that is the piece, and, and that's the reason why TSMC is not in the conversation. It should be if there is a mag eight, TSMC would be the uh, the eighth. I think it'd be hard to get most people on board with that because of the of the the risk that you're outlining. But ultimately, I think it's a manageable risk. Gene, thanks. Great to see you. Gene Munster, Thank you. Water Asset Management. TSM, that's interesting. Totally. That's- um, you know, listen, I think everything Gene says makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I think some of these big platform companies are going to be the big beneficiaries. Not too different, Karen, than the way you just described, like, AWS and what that meant. So, like, for instance, you know, a company like Apple or Amazon or even Google and Amazon right now that just seem to be mired in, we know that they've been spending billions of dollars on investment in machine learning for, you know, 10 plus years or whatever, but they can't get their products out. They can't get good reviews of their products. They can't, you know, right now, that, that, that's going on. They'll figure that out. You know what I mean? Like, like they will. And then a company like Apple, which which has no headlines in around generative AI and that sort of thing. Like there will be productivity. There will be all these sorts of new whiz bang things that work into their products and make them more interesting and the like here and everything like that. And I think, again, what, what I would say is, and I've said this consistently over the last couple of years, and I, I don't think we're out of the woods as far as a bear market is concerned, believe it or not. Uh, I, I think the QQQ is a great way to play big secular trends, especially if the largest components are going to be ones beneficiary because we know the top 10 names make up half the weight of it. Turning to airlines now, Alaska Air announcing over the weekend plans to acquire rival carrier Hawaiian Airlines in a deal valued at $1.9 billion. The offer of $18 a share, nearly four times where Hawaiian closed on Friday. Alaska, meantime, down 14 percent today, its biggest drop since the start of the pandemic. Let's get more on this deal now with Phil LeBeau. Hey, Phil. Hey, Melissa, this is an interesting deal if it goes through with Not surprisingly, both Alaska and the Hawaiian CEOs believe it will. As you mentioned, it's a $1.9 billion deal. $900 million, by the way, of Hawaiian debt would be acquired by Alaska. Both brands remain. They continue flying Alaska and Hawaiian Airlines, but they're going to be under one corporate umbrella, which is going to be run by Alaska. The approval is expected within 12 to 18 months. And yes, the CEOs realize that many believe the DOJ will likely you know, fight this and not approve of it. Here's what the Hawaiian CEO had to say this morning when we put that question to him. This transaction needs to be looked on on its own merits, not compared to any other, uh, that it is pro-consumer, that we're giving more options to uh, travelers to Hawaii. There's there's really uh, not a lot of overlap, and, and the, the, the root networks are very complementary here. We're relatively small players in the industry. Hey, on paper, almost everybody in the industry agrees, yeah, this makes sense, but that doesn't really matter if the DOJ is going to fight it. By the way, Alaska has offered $18 a share to all of the investors for Hawaiian Airlines. We reached out to the DOJ, as you would expect, early on, just a day or two after a a proposed merger is announced. They had no comment on the specifics. I'm sure, Melissa, we will hear from them at some point. Remember the DOJ, as you take a look at shares of JetBlue and Spirit, They are watching the end of that hearing, that court case, 
final arguments, maybe tomorrow, maybe on Wednesday, but it will be this week. And then we could get a ruling on that by the judge by the end of this year, though many believe it will be shortly after the new year. Finally, take a look at the airline stocks today. Uh, for the most part, they were, you know, moving higher. And there's the ARCA airline index moving higher. Interesting to see what happens not only with JetBlue and Spirit, Melissa, but once that's done, what does the DOJ say about this deal? Yeah, and regarding this deal, if it doesn't go through, is it is it thought that Hawaiian could be purchased by another airline or that no deal will happen? Because, I mean, the stock reaction indicates that people really believe it's in play. Yeah. Um, I think people think it could be in play, but I'm not sure if somebody else wants to get into making this offer. Melissa, I've spent a, a number of days with uh, airline CEOs over the last couple of months at various events. We're going to their headquarters. Almost all of them say the same thing, which is you really have to buckle up if you want to take on the DOJ in this environment. They're watching what happens with JetBlue and Spirit. And while you can make an argument that Hawaiian might be in play, if this doesn't go through with Alaska, and if the Biden administration is extended for another four years, do you really want to get into a fight trying to acquire an airline? All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Karen, what'd you make of the stock reaction? Well, just as an ARB, there's sort of a rule. No airline deals. <laughs> no airline deals, right? They're just too messy. They take too long. You know, no, it's no thank you. Spirit and JetBlue, the regulatory, I think, is supposed to get cleaned up by the first half of next year. Going to be interesting to watch. But Delta, if you look now, I didn't think it was getting down to 32. It did. But this has been a great trading stock. They also speak at a conference tomorrow. I want to say it's a Morgan Stanley conference. So keep an eye on this. They're trading vehicles. Tim says it all the time. And I think 38, it's better to be long Delta than shorted. Coming up, a trade worth writing home about builders holding up as the broader market takes a dip. Why buyers aren't letting rising rates stop them from getting in the door. More on that next. Plus, Carvana cranking out the gain, shares bouncing back from an autumn slump as analysts kick the tires on this stock. Where they see this name heading next? Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The ITB U.S. Home Construction ETF hitting a new intraday record today, dating back to its creation in 2006. The XHB also climbing to multi-year highs, a move coming ahead of Toll Brothers' earnings report tomorrow. Meantime, a new B of A study finding high mortgage rates may be having a smaller impact on home buyers. The study finding 62% of purchasers would wait for rates to drop before buying. That is down from 85% back in February, so people may be getting inured mm -hmm. to these higher rates, guys. That's, exa that's exactly right. It's the speed with which it happened. It scared people, but people realized, wait a second, it's bad, but I can deal with this, right? So that's one of the reasons. And listen, the move from 5% to 4.25% in the 10-year obviously bolstered these names. Here's my concern if you want to continue to be long home builders. If you think the unemployment rate is going to where I think it is, somewhere between 4.6 and 4.5 early next year, I think it's a very tough ask to be long home builders right here. It's not about evaluation. These stocks have had meteoric rises. Since the sell-off we saw earlier this year, the bounce has been amazing. I just think if you think the employment picture changes, there's no reason to be long the home builders. I agree. I think the bounce has been way beyond uh, what should have. Uh, still, rates are really high. That's definitely, obviously, we know, put a huge crimp in, in real estate. Also, we haven't solved that people getting out of their low mortgages yet. Right. So we don't have that existing home supply on the market. So I'm kind of surprised at the magnitude of the bounce. I, I I mean, I own some Lowe's. That's been nice. I own some Home Depot and uh, I own some Zillow, which is nice, too. But I got to think it's it's not ideal yet.
for, for them. They got two years to wait, maybe. People, though, are still having children. They're mm-hmm. dying. They're retiring. They're Moving out of state. <laughs> no, life happens. Wow, this got really and you serious. Got, <laughs> right. And when, as soon as I said dying, it did change the yeah, tone of the yeah. conversation. Yeah. But just to the point that life changes prompt having to move. And sometimes you have to move. And so, you know, and then plus people are getting used to the idea yeah. that rates are going to be high. Yeah, not to mention that the builders are buying down rates and they've continued to offer those incentives. So that, I think that's why you're kind of seeing what you're seeing from those names. I still continue to like Toll and DHI. I own KBH, actually. I was playing a laggard trade. But those two barbell, barbell together give you both points of that home buying segment. So if you want to kind of hedge against what Guy is telling you in terms of unemployment going up, that allows you, at least in my view, to, to have somewhat of a hedge there if you still insist on adding them to your portfolio at this stage in the game. What's, what's interesting is you looked at me when you said, I mean, I don't know if what? that's, what? I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I liked that you win. But every, having children, because that's but, also, you know. But everything you mentioned, which is accurate, by the way, we all face the same inevitability, <laughs> but it speaks to the reason why, if you want to own anything, it's public storage. I mean, life things change, people move, people get older. People PSA is a name you want to look at, especially given the fact that it's gone from 400 to 265 in the blink of an eye. So maybe that's your cradle of the grave trade, Melms. <laughs> There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. A stock reborn. Carvana pulling a U-turn from its autumn haze. But can shares drive even higher? Why analysts are feeling enlightened on this name. Next. Plus, crypto keeps climbing as Bitcoin passes $40,000. So it's time for another visit from an old fast money friend. BK Brian Kelly is here to lay out his crypto calls. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Carvana topping the tape today. The used car retailer surging nearly 14% on the back of a J.P. Morgan upgrade. The firm saying the company has improved productivity, cut costs, and now has potential to establish a long-term competitive advantage. Shares up 60% from their early November lows, but the one-time pandemic darling is still down nearly 90% from its all-time high hit in August 2021. And don't get too excited. This upgrade is to a neutral so it's not like a pound the table sort of buy no it's not so it went from underweight to neutral 40 dollar price target but with tip and i don't know this about jp morgan but a lot of analysts can't do that double dog dare they can't go from underweight to buy Mm. so i would wait for the next you know neutral to buy which is coming to a theater near you at some point maybe the price target is 46 we get there then you pull the ripcord. There's still a lot of momentum behind this the fundamentals necessary i don't think they've changed all that much stock price has I think there's still room to run on the upside. The view overall, though, in the used car market out of J.P. Morgan is pretty negative. Yeah. Slow recovery. Consumer balance sheets are depleted. Affordability is not good. Right. And I don't know. Part of it, they think they can run this better. But still, I mean, this is, you know, I was very, very pessimistic on them being able to survive. But they were able to leverage everything that wasn't nailed down to anything (laughs) and were able to buy time, which is really important. The other thing is worth noting, 31% short interest, you get a hint of something positive and then it can really take off. But, you know, I always like to look at the debt because the debt investors are a lot smarter than the equity investors. So we have, I think, one of their larger floats, uh, 12% of, I think, 28. And you can see it's up some actually with with bonds having with 
interest rates haven't come down, you think it would be up more. So it's, um, you know, 15% yield. That's kind of high. But uh, the one other thing, though, that's worth noting, the stock going up to here, they probably should be considering, and they probably are, selling more stock. Right. And if people believe they're worthy of this, then they can maybe, you know. Buy some more time. Buy some more time. That's all you need, more time. Yeah, uh, I mean, this stock's expensive. I mean, it's, it's 10 times more expensive on an EV to EBITDA basis than its peers. And I really think the story here is about tightening up operations around reconditioning. So buying cars, then getting them up to standard so that they can resell them. And there is a, a lot to be made in terms of them bringing that technology in-house, getting the logistics in order, in terms of, you know, if you think about it as an assembly line, being able to take something from start to finish without having interruptions, having to pay overtime, et cetera, et cetera. With that said, it is still very expensive. And the, the argument that JP Morgan is saying is they will be in a position when growth returns in order for them to be able to scale. They're still facing competition from brick and mortar dealerships, et cetera. So I might pump the brakes on this one. Ah, see what you did there. <laughs> Coming up, a newcomer in the weight loss drug race, Switzerland's Roach Holdings jumping in with a big biotech deal. How the latest entry into the obesity battle stacks up to the competition. And don't look now, but it is... Brian Kelly is laying out his crypto calls as Bitcoin keeps climbing, where he sees the space heading next when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks starting the week in the red as stocks take a a breath. The Dow falling 40 points, the S&P down half a percent, the Nasdaq leading the losses, dropping eight-tenths of one percent. Shares of Starbucks lower today. That stock on an 11-day losing streak, its worst ever, down nearly nine percent since November 17th. And gold hitting a new intraday record today, crossing the 21.50 an ounce mark. But the precious metal end of the day lower, closing more than 100 bucks off its morning peak. It was an interesting Reversal guy, I don't know what you made of it. I don't know what to make of it because it happened. At one point last night, I think gold was up 60-something dollars in the Asian market, only then to give some of it back. You walk in today, and now it's down $40. I mean, that is a key reversal for you technicians out there, and it's really scary if you're long. What happened? Probably buy stops got triggered on light volume, took it up, and we'll see. I don't think the gold story has changed. The technical story, though, changed in the short term for sure, though, Melms. Bitcoin, meantime, also booming. The crypto hitting uh, 42000 for the first time in over a year and a half. Bitcoin is up more than 150% this year. A host of crypto-related stocks also riding this rally. Check out the gains in Coinbase, MicroStrategy, Marathon Digital. Today, all of these names up around 300% or more so far this year. So where do we go from here? Let's ask the baller. Mm. Longtime Fast Money <laughs> friend Brian Kelly is back in the house. Can't get enough. Can't get enough of him either. Brian, yeah. welcome back. Thank you. Um, so... Obviously, you're long. You're very bullish. Yes. Has anything changed in terms of the tra- trajectory of the move higher? No, not really. I mean, certainly. Uh, so this move is really built on this anticipation of an ETF, probably January 5th to January 10th. So as it gets higher as a trader, of course, I'm going to get a little scared because you're saying how much of that is already priced in. We're getting pretty close to that. Um, but in terms of the longer term trajectory for Bitcoin, I think you just have to think of it as we're in this, car, let's call it one to two year bull market period. We'll have these pullbacks. Even in 17, when we had a massive run, we had months that it was down 30, 40 percent. So you just have to keep that in mind. So January 5th to 10th, it seems like it's all downside. It's like you have to sell the news or the disappointment. So how do you position into that? I, I mean, I think you're long going into it and then you start layering out of it as you get towards the end, end of the year. So let's call it over the next week or so. At least that's the strategy we're going to employ. OK. And then the reaction, you know, in sympathy from the other coin. I mean, will there be a sympathy move, too? Yeah. So generally, 
what we've seen in bull markets is about a month after Bitcoin moves, it starts to go to the altcoins. So we saw Ethereum break out last night and then Solana, and then it starts to go down the list. And so that's what I would anticipate. Let's say, let's call it January or so. BK, good to have you here. Say hi to Brian, by the way. Yes. <laughs> a lot of this move has coincided or coincident with the fact that five rate cuts apparently are priced in for next year. Every time we get we pull them forward, Bitcoin seems to take a leg up. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, I think it's a macro tailwind. We've been fighting the macro headwind for almost two years now, right? Rising rates, stronger dollar, all of that. The Fed's probably done. Europe has got a real problem on their hands. China's got a massive problem on their hands. And Japan is unlikely to tighten. So when I look at global liquidity, I think, yeah, short gold, Bitcoin, both of them are going to do well in this environment. So question about the, the halving, I've heard it called the halvening or the halving, but yeah. either one. We're getting to that in April, I think, right? Yep. Um, and that's been a bullish thing before. I sort of wonder, is it the same thing, though? Is that already getting priced in, or is, this, is there something technical that actually happens that would make it be priced in closer to the event? So, not, the event? Um, so what we've seen historically is that the 12 to 16 months after a happening is the best performance of Bitcoin. So that's what everybody's thinking about. Um, this time, you know, this time might be different because the price of Bitcoin's higher. We now only have, I think it's 900 Bitcoin a day that come out, so that gets cut in half. It's not a lot of Bitcoin, but what it does do is it makes Bitcoin more scarce than gold. So for the first time in history, you have an asset that is more scarce than gold. In what way more scarce? Uh, let's call it a stock-to-flow ratio. So uh, the amount of Bitcoin mined every year divided by the amount, ex- uh, amount outstanding, same with gold. And now there'll be, quote-unquote, less Bitcoin than gold mined on a relative basis. All right, now BK, you you sat in these seats for a long time mm. on this desk yes. as a fast money regular. And we know that you miss a lot of things about the show. A lot. But first and foremost, we know you miss Would You Rather. Oh. <laughs> well, who knows? Yeah. We thought we would do a quick game of Would You Rather, which is America's favorite game, of course. <laughs> would you rather Bitcoin or gold? Oh, Bitcoin. Yeah. You you're long it. both, correct? I'm, I am yeah, long, both. long both. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. I mean, you got to bet on the fastest horse. I heard that once. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Japan or America? So DXJ, which you own versus S&P 500. Yeah. Would you Ooh, rather? That's a great one. I think Japan. It's a little bit cheaper earlier in the cycle for them. They've raised uh, wages, which haven't come quite through the economy yet. So I think Japan is a little bit better. All right. And here's the last one. Mm-hmm. Dan or Guy? What? Oh, <laughs> wow. Can't I have a scoop of both? <laughs> <laughs> With a little Karen on top? Yes, absolutely. Anything for you, BK. Thank you. Great to see you. Thank you. Good to be here. Brian Kelly, the one and only. He answered that properly, the last one. Yeah. Yeah. He really would have said neither. Yeah. But he's, <laughs> but he's Are we still on? Because yeah. I wanted to change my thing to Guy. <laughs> You're a long Bitcoin, right? I am long Bitcoin. Um, you know, in some ways, for the kind of investor I am, it is unusual. Yeah. But I did feel like, and this, I owe it all to BK, who really uh, managed it for me, but also sort of, you know, told me the story and why it could work. And several years later now, it actually has. So I'm sticking with it. And hoping for the halving bull market and the uh, ETF. ETF. I like the Japan trade. I'm not sure I like it more than I like the U.S. market. It's, that's always going to trade at a premium, but I do agree that they're in the early stages of what is likely a bull run. I'm still getting over this whole Dan. Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, so, that's, that's mean. Why is it I mean? I picked Dan. BK Aww. wanted to say Dan, but he felt bad for me. I know. Aww. Well, you know who my Sweet. mom picks, Dan or Guy? Guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
obviously. <laughs> right. yeah. So what's the question? Yeah. <laughs> Coming up, another big pharma company jumping into the race for obesity drugs. What does the latest contestant mean for the competition? A live report on the details next. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. A new challenger throwing its hat into the weight loss ring today. Swiss pharmaceutical company Roche announcing plans to acquire American obesity drug maker Karmat Therapeutics for $2.7 billion in cash. Roche shares up almost 3% on the news. Karmat's offering, though, may not be market ready until the 2030s. CNBC's Angelica Peebles got the details. Angelica. Yeah, Melissa. Roche getting three experimental obesity drugs as part of this nearly $3 billion deal. Carmont has a weekly shot targeting both GLP-1 and GIP that's ready to go into phase, three, phase two trials. It also has a GLP-1 targeting pill in phase one. The company is playing up the possibility of combination therapies. Roche has an experimental muscle strengthening drug that it might be able to combine with the weight loss drug to help preserve muscle mass. One criticism of these new weight loss drugs is that they cause people to lose both fat and muscle. Now, Melissa, this deal is showing just how eager Farmer is to jump into the race and how small biotechs need help going up against behemoths like Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly. Carmont only a few weeks ago filing to go public, saying then it would look for partners who could help it compete. So don't be surprised if we see more of this activity in the space. Melissa? Angelica, thanks. Angelica Peebles. Um, this is an interesting deal. Two of the drugs are ready to go into phase two. It's a, it's a long ways off. It's a lot up yeah. front with the milestone payments being $400 million at milestones, up to. Yeah, I thought it, it was an odd deal in, in that uh, it's, it's a lot of money for what a lot of uncertainty, mm-hmm. right? It could be worth a ton several years down the road. Right. So that's sort of surprising to me. The only thing that doesn't make it that surprising is that if they were filing for an IPO, this is the time to get them before, right? So there's probably maybe an active auction. I don't know. A lot of interest there. And Roche is gigantic. Even if it's money not well spent to Roche, it's not a ton of dollars. It's interesting. Typically, they wait for these drugs to be proven, and then they'd rather buy the company 5X than pay for it now with the uncertainty. Mm. I think in their mind, they're saying, you know what, we'd rather pay this number now than potentially 20X or 25X. Or have somebody else buy it. Or have somebody else do it in between. And I never talk about these things, but the XBI, which is an ETF, not particularly greatly constituted. I mean, all one and a half, two percent names. But look at where, if we have a longer term chart, bottomed out at 67, huge double bottom here. If there's going to be some M&A, continued M&A in this space, XBI is a good way to sort of diversify your risk. We've made the comparison in the past to uh, AI, right, in terms of the big players out there, established players, and where are they going to grab all the market share at the expense of the other smaller players, crowd them out, et cetera. Are we at the point now in terms of the obesity drug race where we've got the two heavyweights, so to speak, mm-hmm. Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk, and the, all the other ones are just trying to stay alive in, in this growing area. Well, former heavyweight here. I, I just say this, it's kind of interesting. When you think about Lilly, and we talked about this with Novo Nordisk, and, and really, you know, with Zepbound now, and, and 
it's a two-horse race, right? And we saw the news out of Pfizer last week. All these guys want to get into it. And it's funny that like, Pfizer can't get out of their own way. And you look at a Roche and you say to yourself, like, okay, the way this deal is structured, it does seem like an option. It's also uh, differentiated because of that muscle mass component right. of it or whatever. So I think if you're looking at what's the next big mega trend in pharmaceuticals or that has the, the ability to transform the entire like healthcare system, you kind of have to be there. And I think that's what this bet looks like. And again, I think Lilly and Nova probably become less interested as we get further along and get more clarity about what the competitive landscape looks like. What did you make of the Pfizer news? Your Pfizer. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> I share it with Tim. Yeah. <laughs> I did text him, oh, Shim, our trade isn't working so well, uh, which he was well aware of. Uh, disappointing, for sure. I was surprised at, I mean, how quickly that happened and sort of unraveled, but, uh, and disappointing. I mean, today, you know, traded a little bit better, but this has really not been a good one. Coming up, music to investors' ears. Spotify's latest cost-cutting plan, sending the stock soaring. We'll tell you how the music streaming giant is transforming. Next, more Fast Money in Two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Spotify shares surging to kick off the week after CEO Daniel Ek said the music streaming company would cut 17% of its workforce or about 1,500 jobs. It would be the company's third set of layoffs this year. The news coming after Spotify announced a quarterly profit of more than $70 million. The stock is now up nearly 150% this year. Dan, what do you make of the people are all jazzed up? They think profitability sooner. Yeah, so this would be the first profitable year next year that they're hoping to swing to. And it's interesting how Wall Street, how investors react to that sort of news. Um, but this is a company that, you know, has 25% gross margins. You think about their competitors, like in the streaming landscape, they're far better. I think Netflix is north of 40% or something like that. So their cost structure got a little bloated over the last few years. They've made lots of great inroads in podcasting and some other sort of content services and the like here. But it does make sense that these guys, especially where the stock is right now, that you'd be looking to guide the street towards some level of profitability, and it looks like it's achievable next year. If I told you a stock was up 150%, was making their third employment cut, would you be a buyer or seller? And I think given what we've seen with the strength of the overall market, what, what they're essentially indicating to you, to me, is like if you've been in and you've had a good run, I'd probably be taking some profits. I like how you, yeah. that's like a game that we often play. If I had if told, I told you, you, how would you yeah. think the stock would act? Variation of but a But I theme. think that's a good point. If you hear all these things on paper, it sounds terrible. And yet the conclusion is meeting those 2022 goals sooner than expected. Which they will. And the flip side of that coin is we admit that we probably hired too many people too quickly. Mm -hmm. We're fixing that. We're going to be focused on efficiencies. We're going to get profitable early next year. Valuation will no longer be a concern. Yes, we understand the problems that we created. We're fixing it. Analysts are probably behind the eight ball. A couple of them raised their price targets to 220 today. You're going to see that, I think, over the next couple of weeks. I think the stock can keep going higher from here. So it's interesting to me the response to this, right? I mean, you make an excellent point. I wonder if we're going to start seeing this again and again and again. We never think of, wow, I wonder what, what will the business lose from having these few, fewer right. employees? I don't know. I don't know their business well enough to understand who is, who is laid off and what that means. But I think for as long as people start continue to give companies credit for doing it, we're going to see it. And it could dovetail with weakness in their business not just efficiency. Right. Up next, final trace. Final trade time, Bonwin. In honor of BK, DXJ. 
Karen. Yes, I took some money off the table in BXP, rates down, stocks traded up. Dan. Yeah, Toll Brothers into the print tomorrow night. I think those incentives probably hurt them. I bet it retraces a bit of that move over the next few weeks. So back to the full seller. Guy. Fast Money First, as Bonwin mentioned, <laughs> a guest brought him or herself back in the form right. of BK, but then you said. It's fine. Because it's BK. Because it's BK. Right. I, I, I can give dispensations. <laughs> Jeff Blue Melms. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.